Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves and once again, joining me on our continuing journey through in some ways quite utterly ludicrous stories, in other ways quite brilliant stories of this wonderful Transformers cartoon is my good friend Mr. Andy Hanley. Andy, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. I, I, I set myself a challenge to try and work the word Kremzeek into my introduction, but I can't do it, so I give up. <laughs> Kremzy it is a difficult word to say, surprisingly. It's a very fun word to say, though. I kind of like it. I feel like it should be, you know, I've been playing a lot of Wordle, and I feel like, you know, it's too many letters, but I, I, want, I want it to be an actual word now. <laughs> here, here begins the petition, make Kremzeek an actual word. I don't know what it would mean, but, you know... We'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine, like, now that the New York Times owns it, are they just going to gradually extend the number of letters? It could be. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, lo- lots of lots of wordle controversy, but that's an entire other podcast. Exactly right. <laughs> Folks, we are here to talk Transformers, as mentioned. We are continuing on our journey through Season 2 of the cartoon. And uh, as we've been talking about the past couple of weeks, we are gradually getting towards the end of season two. If you'd like to let us know what you think of the episodes as we're going through them, you can get in touch with us via Twitter and Instagram. You can find us under the username at StarscreamsPod. We've even got an email address as well. You can find us there on StarscreamsGhostPod at gmail.com. And assuming you're listening to the audio version of this, be it on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or maybe you pulled the RSS feed in, first of all, thank you very much for checking us out. And if you'd like to share that with someone else you know, we would love that as well. If you'd like an alternative way to indulge in the podcast, you can also find a complete video version of us discussing the episodes today and all of our previous podcasts as well. Simply go on YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, and you should find our channel just fine. Andy, the order of business for today is the season two episode, episode 44 to 46. Now, should clarify as well for potential new listeners, the episode we are watching, the the ordering as it were, is dictated by the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel. That is a 100% legitimate way to watch the episodes, and the, the ordering that they have this in is the broadcast order. So we are going by that as a... just. Just, that's our chronology, if you will. That's the way to sum that up. The episodes in question today have the titles Cosmic Rust, Kremzeek, with an exclamation mark at the end, and finally, Starscream's Brigade. Andy, general overall thoughts on these episodes. It's, um, I'm trying to think of a word that might sum this up, and I'm going to use the word dichotomy, because I think that sums up a lot of what we encountered in these three episodes. I mean, f- first of all, that's far too big a word for a Monday evening when we're recording this. <laughs> um, but I appreciate its usage. Um, but yeah, I-, I think that's fair. It's sort of this is probably one of those interesting bits that stands out in terms of the whole like broadcast order versus production order versus whatever other order you want thing. Because uh, I mean, as I kind of mentioned on the last episode, we we were in deep with all the special teams. It was all stunticons, all aerial bots. Um, and we we get back to that at the end of these three episodes. You know, we get the the Combaticons origin story plus like stealth two parter. By the way, um, right? <laughs> it was 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 not quite expecting that. But in the meantime, we kind of have a couple of sort of old, almost more old school season two episodes. Like it feels kind of quaint to go back to 
some dumb stuff and you know some more sort of like alien centric episodes um which are both terrible but fun i guess <laughs> i don't know like i mean they they're sort of they both have sort of well I, I don't know if Kremzik has an interesting idea. Kremzik is, like, perhaps the most cartoon this series has been. Like, even compared to some of its other episodes. Like, it's a proper full-on, like, this could be a Yogi Bear episode. It could be literally any cartoon. Just transplant the characters out of it. Um, Cosmic Rust is a bit more, has a bit more going for it. Maybe doesn't quite run with it in the way I would have liked. Um, and then, yeah, like, we get we, we get some... We get some good Constructicon stuff and some good Starscream time to to round things off. So uh, so that was nice. Yeah, I will say up front to kind of probably preface where my current feelings are on the episodes. Kremzik, I actually had a really hard time watching. There was just something about it where I think it's the first time, at, at least in a while, I might have to just go back through and re-familiarise myself with some of the episodes we've we've encountered, or all of them, more to the point. But I feel this is the one that felt felt most like a slog. Other than that one when, like, Astro Train and Blitzwing were trying to take over the Decepticons for a while. Like, that one was also a weird, but not in the way this one felt. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this one, it definitely, you know, I mean, it's sort of interesting, actually, because we've talked in the past about, like, some of these Transformers episodes from David Wise and being like, oh, this exact plot was also used in in other cartoons here. Would not be at all surprised if we come to find that that's actually the case with this, of like, oh, this was originally a Jetsons episode or something. (laughs) And then, you know, somehow it ended up in Transformers, because it feels... It kind of didn't feel like a Transformers episode particularly. It just, you know, happens to have Transformers in it. Although, you know, th- th- there was some fun stuff to be had from it, I will say. Definitely. So, you know what? L- let's park that conversation there because we'll get on to Kremzeek soon. But first, we must dive into episode 44 of season 2. It's time to talk about Cosmic Rust. We begin with Astro Train flying through space carrying Megatron, Starscream, and, I've got to say, Andy, for this episode, an oddly sounding rumble. Did you notice that? Yeah, this was, this was a bit like my Wheeljack moment in, the, in our last podcast, where I was just like, doesn't quite sound right. It did, in, in this case, it sounded like they hadn't quite set all the kind of, like, you know, um, the, the vocalisation stuff that, that you know, um, I forget the word, but, you know, the, the stuff that, that they put on to make their voices look like robots. It sounded like they dialed it down a bit, or maybe maybe that machine had blown up and they had to use the backup or something, because he just didn't quite sound... He, he sounded more New York than usual, I guess. <laughs> you see, it's weird, because I kind of thought the opposite in a weird way. Oh, really? I thought he sounded less... <laughs> Or, or that battery oh, okay. just had like a really, really, really blocked up nose. Yeah, yeah, and again, it maybe maybe there was like a cold doing the rounds um, in 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 the studio because yeah, we've definitely had a few of those recently where they're not quite right. They are flying through space and start to approach a planet where notably a giant Autobot insignia can be seen on the surface. And like, took a giant here. It's like literally like a huge. Imagine. I'm trying to think of a a way to phrase this. Imagine, like, King Kong was larger than this planet, and he had, like, a stamp that he wanted, like, like a wax stamp you do or something. He just put that on a planet. That's what this looked like, in a weird way. They land and start surveying the area. First impressions are that it's deserted, and they use the phrase specifically, a ghost planet. 
Megatron is perplexed because, as he quite rightly puts it, quote-unquote, it's not like the Autobots to leave a whole city to decay. They then approach what I've written down, Andy, as an obelisk, but you might have a better word maybe to use than I can for that, which attached to it has some consoles on it and some inscriptions on this obelisk as well. Starscream identifying them as, quote-unquote, ancient Autobot, which they say they can't read. Starscream then does what he does and just starts tinkering away at the consoles because he freaking can. And remember, everyone, based on the Fire in the Sky episode, Andy, I think it was from season one, we know that Starscream is a scientist. And then we get the following dialogue exchange. Megatron, as he sees Starscream tinkering away. Starscream, keep your grubby fingers off that. It could be a booby trap. And then Starscream saying, what trap? This is a prehistoric communications device, you uneducated dolt. (laughs) Great line from Starscream. But then suddenly, Starscream pushes the correct button to activate something. A beam of light shining on the ground from the top of the obelisk appears, and it turns out this is actually a projector of some kind, and we see an Autobot appear in this projection. Fair to say, Andy, looking a little bit worse for wear, looking very discoloured in various places, and cracks all along its body. Yeah, I will also say, looking a lot like Blur, who who we will be introduced (laughs) to in Transformers the movie. Like, I don't know if there's some reused character design stuff there, but I was like, is that Blur? Is he alright? It looked a little bit similar. Is that ancient Blur? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, this Autobot in the projection actually comes bearing a warning, because it's a warning message. Quote-unquote, If Cybertron be your home, far away never roam. Hear my message, listen and fear. Danger comes, the end is near. Just like us, you will soon rust. All shall be turned to dust. I mean, there there is no curse worse than bad poetry. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I can say. I've got to say, I actually really like that as kind of an ominous message in this case because it just with the with the setting the location the mystery around it like you say bad poetry but i thought for the purpose of this it actually served its purpose really well yeah i mean it's it's a fair way to kind of set things up um and it's also it plays really nicely because of course the decepticons first thought is just like ah well it must be a lie it must be to keep us away from something really cool and important because they're decepticons and they just assume they judge everybody by their own standards that it's always going to be some kind of malicious lie to to keep people away from something good that they want except rumble though it's got to be said rumble's the only one that went that sounds like a curse yeah i mean he probably just wanted to get home and put his feet up because he had a cold but uh, but yeah he also he also makes the, the good call here yeah like you mentioned megatron is just going this is clearly a trick designed to scare us off and in starscream very oddly in this instance andy and it's weird to hear starscream actually say this he says quote unquote megatron's right (laughs) and then adds where there's a curse on the door there's treasure on the other side starscream poetry is not your game either clearly They continue looking around this deserted city, heading for a particularly a particularly tall building, excuse me, where inside they find a lightning bug. It's essentially a giant statue of a bug that's the same height as Megatron and Starscream for some context of height. 
They managed to activate it, and it sent a giant bolt of lightning up to the sky vertically, tearing a hole through the, the roof and the ceilings of the upper levels of this building. Megatron sees this as the perfect weapon to use against the Autobots. With the device now in their possession, Astro Train launches back into space, carrying all of his comrades and the, the lightning bug aboard. But then they're randomly being chased by an asteroid, and it kind of almost feels like this is intentionally happening. But my first thought was, oh, clearly the lightning bug's got like a homing beacon on it or something. They end up disposing of said asteroid by using the power of the lightning bug to shoot out a giant laser ray out the back of Astro Train. Unfortunately for them, while they were managed while they managed to explode the asteroid, the blast sends all sorts of debris not only into Astro Train, but also through Astro Train, and a particular shard ends up lodging itself in Megatron's shoulder. Yeah, I, I feel like I have not winced at anything that I've seen in Transformers until that shot because mm-hmm. that's they they don't there's quite a lot of, of that's almost like sort of body horror-esque in this episode but like they really don't shy away from like megatron just really taking it in the shoulder and it's just like it's not your normal kind of you know again this is a series where you know there's lots of pew pew lasers and you know characters getting thrown around and bashed off of things but you never really see any physical damage to them beyond you know maybe they look a bit scuffed up in some shots but this is like proper this thing just tore your shoulder open, man. This is not good. Yeah, like, between in the War Dawn episode, when we literally saw a triple murder from Megatron, <laughs> yeah. like, between that and this, yeah, like, it, it almost... Actually, thinking about it, it does kind of feel like, dare I say the word, the violence is ramping up a little bit. Because it does kind of feel that, especially when you look at what happens in the upcoming episodes that, we, that we're talking about today. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does. Like, and, and the... There's very definitely a vibe to this episode where it does get a bit, a bit dark for a, for a while. Like all of all everything that is about to befall Megatron is kind of like a little bit unsettling, to be quite honest. And this is sort of the starting point of it. And I mean, you know, perhaps offset by the really dumb like lightning bug design. Like I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that, but it just looks so stupid. Um, but, uh, but apart from that, like, yeah, this is kind of quite a, quite an eerie start to the episode. Like we've had the ghost planet, like this, this is the start of like a horror movie, right? This is how this stuff goes. This is like Starship Troopers or something, or Alien, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's far more, yeah, it's more kind of like Alien than, than Starship Troopers, to be Why honest. Why I pulled Starship Troopers out of the hat there, I don't know, but I did. I mean, it was probably the dumb bug thing that, that did it for you. So. They, I'll take that, there you go, thank you. Thank you for getting me out of that hole. <laughs> we next cut to Decepticon HQ, well, I say seemingly Decepticon HQ, where Megatron is laid up on a bed. Based on dialogue from Starscream, Astro Train is out of commission until replacement parts can be manufactured, that likely taking weeks. Megatron says in response to that, quote-unquote, Forget Astro Train, it's me who must be attended to. Starscream then responds with, That's a nasty tear in your shoulder, Megatron. And Megatron responds with, That's a brilliant observation, Starscream. Now get the asteroid chunk out of me. Starscream is able to remove the chunk from Megatron's shoulder. Quote-unquote from Starscream. Unfortunately, the operation was successful. Uh, yeah, I, I love that. That is like peak... <laughs> peak jerk Starscream. And I, I, I very much appreciated that line. 
Also worth noting, the way he actually removed the the, uh, the the chunk from his shoulder was he basically converted his hand into like a giant pair of forceps or tweezers or pliers. <laughs> Take your pick. Yeah, I mean, is, is there anything that, like, transformer hands can't do? Like, it seems like whenever whenever a tool is required, I mean, you know, it's really good for DIY transformers, as it turns out. Mm. But at this point, Megatron's looking at the wound on his shoulder, and he, he feels like there's something odd about it. Starscream looks at it and says, that looks like rust. Which Megatron basically takes massive offence to, saying something to the effect of "That's impossible because I'm rust-proof." Yeah, I mean, th- things we learned today is like Transformers are rust-proof, apparently. So, <laughs> u- useful to know. We then cut to a National Scientific Achievement Award ceremony, where Perceptor is being awarded for creating Corastop, a new solution that prevents rust and corrosion. Do you see where the plot's going, everyone? Also. It's stronger than any known metal, and it's also created from a rare element, according to Perceptor. Also, Andy, don't know if you noticed this, random sort of fun fact or tangent on this. Did you notice seemingly Carly Spike and Sparkplug, Sparkplug wearing one of his dapper suits, were in the audience? That said, they really didn't look like them. <laughs> I didn't know, I didn't, I wasn't, I, I was so excited by Perceptor's invention, I guess, I did not t- did not see them there. If you go back and, and look at that scene, they cut to the audience and th- there's three people, and I saw like a, a blonde haired woman, and I thought, oh, it's Car- Carly? <laughs> <laughs> was pretty much what I thought, and a- upon doing some further research, apparently it is actually them. So, we got to see another one of Sparkplug's dapper suits. <laughs> Now, based on dialogue, the long-term goal when it comes to this Corostop solution is to coat all of the Earth's monuments in the liquid. But currently, they only have enough for one monument. And they chose the Statue of Liberty. Of course they did. Yeah, I mean, they, they weren't they, they weren't going to go for, like, Nelson's Column or something. It was, <laughs> it was always going to be the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Back at Decepticon HQ... Megatron is seemingly not in a good way at all. With his back to to the camera from the perception that we're looking at, he orders the Stunticons to go and get Perceptor, as he seemingly needs an expert to examine him. Alluding to the fact as well during this dialogue, Andy, that his chest needs to be replaced? Which I'm not sure if that ever came to pass, but I found that to be a random line of dialogue, so I noted it. We then go to New York City, more specifically, the Statue of Liberty, where many Autobots are spraying Corostop onto Lady Liberty. Not far from the statue in the water, we cut to a ferry carrying vehicles. Of course, the Stunticons are on here, and are basically then taking the boat hostage. Why they couldn't just fly there, Andy, I'm not going (laughs) to question it, but, you know, whatever. (laughs) I'm guessing this is probably their way of advertising, you too can go on a ferry and see the Statue of Liberty, just like the Stunticons are. Yeah, yeah, there's maybe some tourism money slushing around in Transformers here. <laughs> under, under the table dealings trying to get the Decepticons to appear <laughs> at places. So upon taking this boat hostage, they make for Lady Liberty. Dragstrip then is literally water skiing onto the island, corners Perceptor... And then Motormaster basically uses like a chain like a lasso that Indiana Jones has got to then drag him into the water and then they drag him away. Prime is alerted to Perceptor's problems and the aerial bots scramble. But we see at this point Perceptor is being loaded into Blitzwing who is stationed, parked, 
there, nearby, whichever the correct phrase is. This prompts a really cool aerial chase, albeit a brief one, through the city and and sort of around the ocean as well. But as we get towards Decepticon HQ, there is also the lightning bug on hand, which is positioned at the front entrance and is fired at two of the aerial bots. So those two are now damaged. Perceptor is taken inside, the aerial bots have to retreat. Inside, Perceptor is taken by two of the Seeker Cone Jets to Megatron, who at this point, Andy, is literally covered all over the place in rust. He then also tries to barter with Perceptor in this scenario, because quite rightly, Perceptor is going, why am I going to help you? You're my mortal enemy. <laughs> and he says something to the effect of, you have got the chance to gain peace in return for a favour. Curing me, obviously. <laughs> Perceptor also says uh, that they should hand over the weapon that they have too. This term is agreed. Silly Perceptor. After turning into microscope mode, Perceptor says that Megatron has been infected by a metallic plague. Seemingly also one that Perceptor is actually aware of. Because he said it wiped out entire races of robots like the Black Plague did to humans. Literally referencing the Black Plague in a kid's cartoon. Sure. And it is known as Cosmic Rust. It turns out that the shard that lodged into Megatron is just covered in Cosmic Rust germs. Which I'm pretty sure that is also the phrase they used, Andy. And I did laugh at that line. I thought they could have come up with something yeah. a bit more fancy than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess it's functional, so sure. So apparently, they were feeding off of, alien, off of an alien energy source, which was the lightning bug. Now, also, Andy, I'm going to note this because I kept track of this. They now refer to it as the heat ray. Yes, indeed they do. I don't know if you noticed this, but they go back and forth on this a little bit. So I'm going to try and keep tally of this as we go along. Perceptor says they should destroy the lightning bug slash heat ray. But Megatron isn't happy about doing that. Voices his displeasure. And at the moment he does that, his hand literally falls off. <laughs> And then just yeah. goes, now look what you did! <laughs> yeah, that, that was the point that made me laugh, is just like the, the, the oh, look, look what you've done moment to it. But again, there's, I mean, there's, I, I do really appreciate, like, the body horror that this episode has. Like, that, the whole shot where, you know, it's just, you see Megatron from the back is really good as a kind of, like, foreboding of, like, oh, this is not going well. And then all of this stuff, like, you know, it's kind of proper, like, oh, man, you're just rusting away in front of us this is this is kind of gross and this this kind of works as, as a as a concept at this point perceptor is on hand with a vial of Corostop, and he tests it on megatron's hand it working perfectly megatron then of course immediately snatches the vial and starts applying the liquid to him like he's putting on suntan which i found quite amusing and then of course he's cured we then cut back to space, where Andy's favourite robot, Cosmos, is heading back towards Earth and reports, quote-unquote, there is no more Ingredient X anywhere. It seems that this means Corostop is no more. In Autobot HQ, the aerial bots are telling Prime about the Heat Ray, name check Heat Ray, when Megatron patches into Teletran. Because you can hack into Teletran, apparently. Sure, whatever. And he, he, he says he's going to offer Prime a gesture of goodwill. He says that he will release Perceptor in Fox Creek Canyon, which is like three miles away, it's later mentioned. But they'll need to dig him up before noon. The reason, 
And I've got to say, Andy, I thought this was a this was actually a very intelligent thing that they did from like an evil maniacal genius perspective. They had restrained Perceptor in microscope mode on a platform and positioned positioned him in such a way that the lens from his from his microscope was looking at the what's the line the fuse of a bomb so that when the sun then shone through it lit the fuse it's really really kind of harrowing to think about but it's like that's actually really intelligent i shouldn't be impressed at that but i am yeah and again i mean i ironically having kind of made all the horror movie comparisons suddenly suddenly we're talking saw here <laughs> like, like you know <laughs> we've, we've just re- really going for it this episode also worth noting at this point, we see that the Perceptor is also now starting to rust. The Autobots roll out, full well knowing that they are heading into a trap, but they have to save their comrade. On arrival, we see the sunlight starting to light the fuse on the bomb. And despite Perceptor's warning of the cosmic rust, Prime is able to save him just before the bomb explodes. Perceptor knows that he could infect the others and wants to be left outside, but Prime is having none of it and takes him back to HQ. In the infirmary, they determined using Teletran that the... That, I was about to say that the audience... That's not the word I was thinking of. <laughs> that the germs originated on a planet called Antilla. We then get a flashback sequence of what the plague did at the same time hearing the following dialogue from Teletran. At the dawn of time, there was a thriving Autobot civilization. Then dreaded asteroids began falling from the sky to spread cosmic rust. No cure was ever found. The 13th Legion, the Lost Legion, was decimated by that malevolent scourge. On that flashback, Andy, I've got to say, I like it was a really short, sharp, snappy flashback, but it really showcased well what the hell this cosmic rust did, and I really like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's weirdly, there's sort of part of me that was like, oh, man, I, I really want more of this this deep lore of like other Autobot civilizations, et cetera, et cetera, which is far beyond the purview of this episode. Um, but yeah, like as, as filling in a little bit of the gap here goes that, that works pretty well. And uh, yeah, it, it definitely, if, if it wasn't already clear that there are dire straits around this, uh, this virus, then that definitely, uh, definitely underscores it. Hmm. Uh, random question for you. And, Obviously, if you don't know, you don't know. But they kind of mentioned the 13th Legion, the Lost Legion. Is that, like, something significant in Transformers lore? Or is that just a way to to highlight more, probably, the devastation that this was? It doesn't ring any bells with me. I, I don't I don't think... I certainly don't think it would have been at the time. I would not be at all surprised if somebody has created some kind of fiction around it since. But, yeah, I think it's just one of those how-do-we-make-this-sound-important kind of moments, I suspect. Absolutely fair. At this point, we see that Ratchet, Wheeljack, and Blaster are now starting to rust over as well, knowing that the plague has spread to Earth. Teletran also highlights that the only possible cure is Corastop. How convenient. Which, of course, they aren't able to make any more of because Ingredient X doesn't exist now. Then Wheeljack suggests that they use the Matter Duplicator, which Prime says it never works. Which, I feel this is one of those almost non-existent deleted scenes, Andy, where it's like, clearly they've tried it once before on, like, a drunken Energon night out, and it just yeah. never worked. Yeah, yeah, we just, uh, we, we, we just tried to 
we, we tried to just like duplicate Cosmos, and that 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 ended badly. So we never we just put it in a <laughs> cupboard, and we never used it again. Do you know what? Actually, you just mentioned Cosmos, and I know I mentioned him earlier as well. In a weird way, I'm kind of surprised that Cosmos doesn't have more of a hand in this episode, given it it like cosmic is in the episode title. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I was I was half expecting the the end point to this to be like actually. The, the universe is full of like ingredient X or whatever it was. It's just Cosmos was useless and couldn't find any of it. But anyway. <laughs> Suddenly, Teletran just goes offline. And Prime looks at his hand, which I've got to say, Andy, he didn't have much rust going on, but he made it seem like it was proper dire straits at this point. <laughs> but he says, Cosmic Rust. And then realizing that when he lifted up Perceptor, he got infected. <laughs> then Ratchet says, is it getting hot in here or is it just me? And it turns out it's not because they're just rusting over. It's because, well, partly, probably they're not rusting over, but because the heat ray, formerly the lightning bug, is being fired at the arc base from nearby. Seemingly Megatron is firing at the base at like half power or so to make them suffer slowly and spread slash feed the germs the energy they want. We then see Wheeljack and Perceptor begin using the Matter Duplicator with a great big massive machine that literally needs a good kicking from Perceptor like it's an old television set to get it going. And then it seems to work. At Decepticon HQ, it seems Laserbeak has been doing what Laserbeak does best, sneak into Autobot HQ without being spotted and records footage so that Megatron can laugh maniacally. Because this time, it's footage of the Autobots suffering from the plague. Megatron liking this very much. And then says to himself, Too bad you used all the Corostop on the human statue and gave the rest to me. Well, rust in peace, Prime. <laughs> I, 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 I always feel like this entire episode was written so that somebody could use the phrase rust in peace. <laughs> that was probably the starting point of this whole story. It's like, oh, we've got to use that, it's too good. I mean, the Megadeth album hadn't been released at this point. That wasn't out till like, 1991, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. once again, Transformers inventing all the good things. <laughs> at this moment, we see Perceptor tell Prime that they got the matter duplicator to work and that they're going to be okay. They just need to scrape some Corostop from off the Statue of Liberty and then mass-produce it. Andy. I'm not a scientist. I'm not someone who, like, maintains artifacts and stuff like that. Can you just scrape off liquid that's been applied to something like that and then probably mass-produce it again? I mean, I guess we don't really know, like, the properties of Corostop. Like, maybe if it is, like, an, an, an outer coating, then I guess, you know, if it's, like, you know, creosoting your fence or something, maybe you can. Um, I mean, you know... At least they went the sensible route and didn't say, let's let's scrape it off Megatron. Um, so, you know, <laughs> kudos to them for that, at least. Megatron, Soundwave and Rumble then head out with the intention to destroy Lady Liberty before they arrive. Because at this point, they're still watching this footage from Laserbeak. Which did make me wonder, Andy, and this is the thing I wanted to point out. Are we to assume... Because, because Laserbeak flew back into HQ and then was like put in the machine like a cassette... So surely they've then watched this on a time delay. Yeah, you 
you'd have thought, but I, yeah, again, not really sure how laser beaks technology works because yeah, it always seems to be a very convenient. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, heck, when we get to like Transformers the movie, you know, he he gives Megatron pictures that are from the same angles that we view things from, not <laughs> the view that Laserbeak was watching things from. So I don't know how Laserbeak works. I really don't. <laughs> At the statue, we see the Stunticons once again on board a ferry, this time with the Heat Ray, at this point referred to by Megatron as the Lightning Bug. Calling it out like it is. Yeah, and I mean, we should we, we should say at this point, like, clearly given the way he's used it, it's very definitely a Heat Ray, so I'm not sure why... <laughs> I'm not sure why the Decepticons have any confusion over it, because clearly they literally used it as a ray to heat things, so not sure why they're, they're in two minds about this. I do wonder why it is just called two different names. It's almost like they probably recorded two different versions of the dialogue and then just forgot each time which one it was. Yeah, you almost wonder whether it was supposed to be like the sort of lightning based and then somebody came up with the whole plot point of heating up the arc. It's like, well, I guess we better make the weapon a heat ray then. <laughs> and then they, they didn't like, they couldn't be bothered to go back and re-record lines of dialogue or something. So it just ended up being interchangeable. The Stunticons transform into Menasaur upon Megatron's arrival and is about to fire when Prime and Co. reveal themselves having been hiding in plain sight seemingly on various parts of Lady Liberty. reason I mention this, Andy, is because this leads to my theory that they were watching the Laserbeak report on a time delay and so maybe the Autobots knew that they were going to come and thought they would ambush them. I, I, I thought you, I thought your theory was going to be that they'd been watching the GI Joe movie and that they wanted yes. to recreate the start of that. But <laughs> I mean, know, I won't we'll, we'll lie. There was a lot of GI Joe movie that I was thinking about during this forthcoming battle. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a big battle at this point because also worth noting, it's a battle, but the Autobots aren't exactly doing well, and Megatron isn't worried because he can tell that Prime is suffering from the cosmic rust. We get the firefight going, but then the aerial bots arrive, they make Menasaur drop the lightning bug, and then they transform into Superion and destroy the lightning bug. Now referred to at this point by Megatron as the Heat Ray. <laughs> you keeping track, everyone. It was really difficult for me. Of course, this signals the, the, the traditional Decepticon retreat. We then cut to the next day, with it being alluded to that the Cosmic Rust is gone! And then Bumblebee saying, yeah, and we saved a lady at the same time. Prime goes, lady? And then Bumblebee goes, that one! And points towards the, the Statue of Liberty, and then the Autobots all start cheering as the episode ends. Could there have been a cheesier ending to the episode? I mean, also, like, this is, this is another really kind of rushed ending, it feels like. Because you've got all this big, you know, there's a plague, there's all this stuff going on, and then it just sort of like, and it's fixed now. And it's like, oh, okay, that's that's it. Cool, good, great. Yeah, this this did feel like a case where they clearly suddenly realised, oh crud, we've got like two minutes before the episode needs to end. How do we make this end quickly? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of it. it th this one somehow felt particularly weird and jarring to me. Like maybe it's because I was sort of I was quite into the early part of this episode and what it was doing, and then it kind of. It kind of goes a bit sideways at some point and becomes less interesting. So at this point, we now diverge to the TF Wiki to see if we've got some interesting, perhaps, trivia notes relating to this episode. So, the Statue of Liberty is made of copper, naturally a brown metal. It turns green when it rusts, hence the statue's distinctive colour. 
as Coruscant gets rid of the rust and prevents weathering, one wonders why the Autobots were allowed to test it on the Statue of Liberty, given that. <laughs> I mean, as yeah, doing so yeah. would alter the colour of one of the most distinctive landmarks in the entire world. Yeah, I mean, even notwithstanding that, it's like, hey, we've created this experimental thing. Do you mind if we like rub it all over, like the the symbol of your <laughs> of your liberty? Be like, no, can you can you try it on this mug first or something? Or can you can you try it on some silverware? Like, just not not on that. But you know. Oh, remember how I mentioned earlier? Is the Lost Legion a reference to anything? The TF Wiki says. Uh, Teletran calls the fallen Autobot civilization 13th Legion the Lost Legion. This could be a reference to 9th Legion, also known as the Lost Legion. So, the 9th Legion uh, was a legion of the Imperial Roman Army that existed in the 1st century BC until 120 AD. So that might actually be like a distant real-world reference, potentially. Huh, some some weird deep history there. Not not only did we have like the plague, we also had Roman history apparently. <laughs> so, trivia note to conclude with for this episode. This episode was originally going to be the Generation 1 cartoon's first attempt to introduce introduce the Matrix into its continuity before Transformers the movie. Huh. In the finished episode, Starscream merely laments that none of the Decepticons can read Ancient Autobot. In the script, however, Megatron can read the language and translates it, discovering that the 13th Legion came to Antilla during the first millennium after the creation of the Autobot Matrix. Starscream dates this to 5,000 years before they left Earth, which is to say 4.5 million years ago. This, of course, would conflict greatly with what we would go on to learn of the Matrix when it was properly introduced, and indeed is not even internally consistent with the rest of the script itself, which claims, pretty stupidly, that the Legion has been on Antilla since the dawn of time. <laughs> that's, an in that's a really interesting note, that, that this could have potentially have been the introduction of the Matrix. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's kind of fascinating that they were at least thinking about that stuff and whether to introduce it in. And it makes you wonder, like, did did that get nixed just because of the internal consistency of that episode not making sense? Or was there kind of a broader, like, no, we want to keep this, you know, keep this under our hoods until we get to the movie because then we can, you know, use it to do some interesting stuff. But yeah, like, because it's it sort of, it's been the interesting thing, like, watching through season two where we've had a few moments of, like, oh, you know, it's, it's hinting at the existence of the film, but, like, you do wonder, you know, how much was talked about in terms of you know, characters and plot points and, and whether they wanted to seed anything into uh, Transformers the movie, which just backs up my idea that that, that character design was based off of Blur at the start. So I'm going <laughs> yeah, to take that one and say, <laughs> there you go, you see, you see. Little bonus uh, trivia note for you here. When, obviously, the show gets localised into different languages, sometimes they have to, like, update or amend the episode titles. Apparently, the original Italian dub, the episode was called The Metallic Plague. The name of the episode in Japanese was The Terrifying Cosmic Rust. <laughs> just just in case the idea of cosmic rust sounded appealing to you. Just <laughs> need to double down. It's actually terrifying. Yeah. You know what, mate? Overall, I liked a lot of the concepts of this episode. I thought it had a lot going for it. Like you said, the finish was kind of abrupt and a bit of a letdown. But the concept of the cosmic rust, that kind of the, the deep lore bits that we got, there was a lot going for it. It's just there was a fair bit of inconsistency, it felt, at some point. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think my my problem was that I, I really like the idea and the way it set it up and the kind of like, you know, pseudo sort of uh, alien-esque horror as mentioned that was really interesting and kind of, again, it's a cartoon. It can't really follow through on that. Like, you know, it, it, it can't, uh, it, it can't uh, do a, a Ridley Scott on it and kind of like kill most of the cast or anything. So it was unfair to expect it to do anything otherwise. Um, but I mean, I think the, the other sort of, the other counterpoint that I think I, I've mentioned on this podcast before is like the, the Transformers comics had sort of a similar thing that the Scraplets, which again was sort of like a highly infectious kind of, you know, rather than rust it was kind of a little bit similar but you know they, they basically like et away at transformers bodies and sort of became this almost like pandemic uh that they had to figure out a way to deal with and because that's one of those things where because the comic had plenty of time to work with that plot line and slowly build it up from like oh you blaster's looking a bit rusty today through to like a full-blown like oh my god this is like a major problem you know, it can do interesting stuff with that, whereas obviously this is very much constrained by it. We got twenty minutes to create and resolve a plague, basically. Mm. Do you recall how long that storyline in the comics ran for? Like vaguely, was it like a couple of months, or was it actually a really long arc that was drawn it, out? It wasn't super long. I mean, it was probably actually only a few weeks in the grand scheme of things. Um, it was just like I, I sort of just recall it quite kind of vividly you know reading it as a kid and uh, it it was almost it, it always played a little bit in a, in a war of the worlds-esque way in that there was actually a really simple solution to get rid of the scraplets spoilers it was literally just water um and and so uh you know it, it was kind of it resolved quite quickly once it kind of got to the bottom of that but it it, it worked pretty well as a plot line for the the few weeks that it ran with it well, speaking of working well as a plotline, I think it's time we get on to our next episode. <laughs> it's time to talk about Season 2, Episode 45, Crimzeek! <laughs> we begin with Megatron hard at work inside a lab, possibly at Decepticon HQ, it's never actually elaborated on. And based on dialogue from Starscream, we're to understand that Megatron is working with electrodes that are meant to be used for an energy magnet, quote-unquote. When suddenly, the machine stops, and the purple electrodes that were firing at a particular sort of space, if you will, suddenly produce a yellow electric creature, and we hear it basically screech out, Kremzeek! It immediately jumps down from the machine, and begins chomping away at a nearby console, which elsewhere prompts Soundwave to say, uh, like a, almost like a big tannoy announcement of, Systems are malfunctioning, what the heck? Despite this, Megatron is fascinated by Kremzeek and immediately decides it will be his ultimate weapon against the Autobots. We then see Kremzeek jump inside a monitor and jump back out, indicating it can probably, properly excuse me, interact with machines. Megatron then captures the little creature in a circuit trap, which... If I have to make an analogy of how the hell you describe this, Andy, a cross between, like, the Ghostbusters, like, ghost catcher that rolls along the ground and the Pokeball. Yeah, yeah. Go do you think... Was this a real Ghostbusters episode before it became a Transformers <laughs> episode? Do you think... It's going to be my game during this, like, guess where this actually came from because I'm determined it wasn't a Transformers story. <laughs> Thrust then takes Megatron to Autobot headquarters where they literally drop the circuit trap at the front door of the base. 
Teletran picks up this disturbance and Prime sees the box jumping around frantically because the little creature wants to get out. And then it sees a camera on the ceiling. It jumps towards it and Prime is looking through the monitor. And when Kremzeek jumps through, it then appears on the other side where Prime is, quite literally. And it then sort of goes around some other devices in the control room before escaping. Kremzeek then runs into the path of Jazz, Hoist, Smokescreen, and even Sparkplug, it's got to be said as well, and ends up jumping into Jazz, giving him a right good internal beating, I think it's fair to say, before then doing the same to Hoist. Sparkplug grabs it with his bare hands and basically gets an electric shock, though he quickly realises from this, because he's intelligent, it's an electric-based creature. We then see Kremzeek doing a number on smokescreen, causing him to randomly transform and start, quite literally, smoking around everywhere. Ratchet then also gets done in by the little critter as well. Quick side note, Andy, because I think it's worth mentioning this now, seeing as I've just mentioned him. In our last podcast, I think we referenced that smokescreen and one or two other Transformers don't have any speaking roles again. Hindsight being 2020, the TF Wiki's episode listing or numbering is different to the broadcast order that we're following. So they are correct, but perhaps in the order we're watching this in, it may not be correct. But still, it's still fun reading out those trivia notes. But just in case anyone listening to past podcasts is wondering, didn't you say that? (laughs) Yes, we did. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah i think there was another character as as well like over the last couple of episodes who we we, we named it similarly as like oh they won't appear again and then and then they did so uh so so there we go but also i just want to say like G- jesus christ ratchet like he he really <laughs> he, he pulls some moves i like that this is one of the things i like about this episode is like when you have crimson kind of getting inside these transformers it feels like the animators are having a lot of fun with it like I wonder whether this is one of those they're given free reign of like, just let them do crazy stuff. Just like, you know, let them move around however you want. And it just, it really goes for it and like has them all like spinning around and doing all sorts of weird stuff. And I did, I did really enjoy just the visual aesthetic of that was very pleasing to me. Yeah, you almost kind of get the impression that the storyboards may have gone, the Transformer gets attacked, do whatever you want. Yeah, we'd we'd make Transformer do weird stuff. (laughs) In a separate room, Prime is about to walk through the door, kind of almost knowing, oh god, that little creature's going to be in there, isn't it? When Sparkplug then appears and douses him with an insulator compound, i.e. like from a fire extinguisher, which Prime at first is kind of like, Sparkplug, what the heck, we've got a problem here! (laughs) But then he manages to fend off Kremzeek's attacks because it's the little creature is just bouncing off of him now because it can't it can't effectively get inside Prime because of that liquid, and then escapes to go elsewhere. It turns out that Prime, Bumblebee, Blaster, and Inferno are the only Autobots left who are able to do anything. Everyone is literally out for the count at this point. Each of them have been doused in the compound and begin splitting up to find the little beast. We see Prime and Sparkplug go in one direction. Bumblebee and Inferno go in a direction, and Blaster by himself. They venture off accordingly. Bumblebee and Inferno are the ones to find the little creature, having just wrecked loads and loads of equipment, and then everyone suddenly thinks, he's wrecked all that equipment. (gasps) Teletran! (laughs) And they... uh, Go on. Nobody wants Teletran to get wrecked, because, you know, that's never happened in the history of this cartoon. (laughs) When they arrive in the control room, Teletran is not having a good time. 
and starts uh, the following dialogue starts occurring alert alert evil martian flengos have invaded supermarkets across the planet they have come to steal earth's ammonia <laughs> I mean that I I again in terms of like people just being allowed to have fun with this again clearly someone was just like hey you just need to ad lib like the most nonsensical thing that you can possibly do and they they, they sell it like I I I cracked up so hard at that line it's just really brilliant I I wish I wish they'd made time for just more of that and just like numerous like random teletram headlines um because I feel like that would have been a heck of a lot of fun but I'll take the one that we get because that's really good and now this transmission that the stuff that teletrans saying is also being broadcast and gets picked up by a military base and the guy who's listening in is just basically going what in the world (laughs) and then teletran then in kind of a warbled voice at this point starts saying choco rations down two grams double plus ungood yeah, yeah. Q- kudos for the 1984 reference that was weirdly crammed in there, but I, I also appreciate that. <laughs> Suddenly, Teletron's... Teletron, that's what I was going to say. Teletran's monitor, there you go, is looking at a beach, and Kremzik is suddenly there. It's just travelled there through Teletran. Bumblebee surmising, that looks like... Japan. <laughs> <laughs> Prime Bumblebee, Inferno, and Blaster then take a ride on Omega Supreme to Japan, while Sparkplug stays behind to try and get the others back online. At Decepticon HQ, Soundwave has determined that Autobot's communications are down. Megatron is very happy at this, seemingly just knowing that's Kremzeek's handiwork. Then says it's time to ready the energy magnet. Yeah, remember that as a plot device, everyone? Right at the beginning of the episode that was just mentioned offhandedly? That's actually a thing. A short time later, sort of fast-forwarding a bit here just to put this into one single note, we cut back to the Decepticon HQ and we see a giant object appear from the water and then there's like a giant spiked ball on top of it. Apparently, these are referred to as a sea scraper which I'm guessing is a play on a skyscraper, Andy. I don't know, but that's the only thing I can think of. And the energy magnet, respectively, based on dialogue said. Back with the Autobots. Omega Supreme arrives in Japan, and the Autobots find the little critter handing handing inside the sind. That's not what I wanted to say. Hiding inside the sand. But Kremzeek discovers he is unable to attack the Autobots because they've been sprayed with that, that liquid. Well, that's everyone, Andy. Except Omega Supreme. Someone didn't think about this before leaving. <laughs> yeah. Does, does this does this need to become our like our new bingo card thing of like, you know, episodes since Omega Supreme got obliterated in some <laughs> shape or form. Yeah. Omega Supreme just gets downed while he's trying to fly away because the little critter Kremzeek just flies up and attacks him. Kremzeek then takes control of, of a train and the Autobots chase after it. Prime manages to catch up to it by doing something in the region of 200 miles per hour, according to his speedometer, which was scary to see, and like bumps into it. They get to a train station where the train ultimately stops, and the Autobots are trying to chase the Kremzeek through a mass of people. And ultimately, Andy, which I got a kick out of, Kremzeek jumps into some guy's Walkman. A proper old school tape playing Walkman. And then the guy ends up throwing it down on the ground and it explodes. Yeah, yeah. And those those things were expensive back in the 80s. He must have been really annoyed about that. 
<laughs> but I mean, it, I, I'm still. I I think at this point I was still just trying to get over kind of like Optimus Prime just chasing a bullet train, which was sort of you know that that was sort of. That, that in itself was maybe a bit much for me to take in, so I feel like I didn't fully enjoy the Walkman moment, because I was just like, did that Did that actually happen? I think that just happened. I mean, I didn't write it down, Amity, but there were notes of kind of like, go faster, Prime! Go faster! <laughs> and then they suddenly see the train, it's like, slow down, Prime! Slow down! <laughs> yeah, I, I, again, it's... It is the thing that I have appreciated, like, watching the dumb episodes of season two, where you can see that everybody involved knew that they were writing or were involved in a dumb episode. Because those are the kind of things you don't see in any other episode of Transformers. But when you get these really stupid ones, like, you know, King Arthur's Court and this one, you get the dumb dialogue and you get the, the, the really sort of cartoony, you know. Uh, I, I mean, the, the scenes of kind of everybody just enjoying Optimus Prime like a roller coaster is just like, this is... <laughs> kind of great I'm, I'm here for this <laughs> Kremzik then exits the station and ends up going into an arcade causing a whole bunch of chaos then escapes into the Shibuya Manufacturing Corporation where Prime says the line talk about a bowl in a china shop we see Kremzik inside destroying TVs taking control of equipment and then the Autobots meet Dr. Soji Yoshikawa I hope I pronounced that name right it may have been Shoji Yoshikawa uh, who, after being convinced that the creature is actually real, because rightly, Andy, he's like, what are you talking about? I can't exist. They theorize that the radio, that, that radio waves, specifically, might affect the creature. After tinkering with Blaster's settings, Blaster's waves certainly slow down Kremzik for a couple of seconds, but then Kremzik is able to get inside Blaster, and then Blaster, I guess, Andy, contains Kremzik, Kremzik in like his chest area sort of that there's no real explanation for this and he basically says I'm gonna fry the little critter by sending loads of power to it and then the doctor's like yes that can work and then a moment later is like no don't do it because you <laughs> yeah, might feed I, I, it more power yeah I love his his his, his exact words I believe are good thinking no bad thinking <laughs> which is which is, is is better than his accent. Like, the Japanese accent of this Doctor guy is not great, <laughs> let's yeah. be honest. Yeah, admittedly, I didn't note that down with, like, with people at the train station as well. There are some interesting... There are some interesting portrayals of people, Andy. I think that's the diplomatic way I'll phrase it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is the typical, like, 80s cartoon... I mean, I mean, God knows, like, you know, you, you still see the accents in, like, anime dubs today, but this was very much the 80s cartoon. It's like, you know, it's like... I mean, we, we had our, like, Russian pilot a few episodes ago that was, like, very Russian in a very cliched Russian way. And, yeah, we, we get we get some, some good, quote-unquote, cliched Japanese accents in this one. Now, mentioning that Blaster was kind of trying to fry the critter, he stops that, and then a Kremzik appears from his chest. And another. And another. Before you know it, there's loads of the little things going around, all sorts of different colours and whatnot, and then Prime has the wonderful line of dialogue, Ah, oh, here comes that sinking feeling. <laughs> <laughs> we then see Mount Fuji in the distance, and then we see Kremzik causing havoc all around Tokyo. Prime and Yoshikawa then get the idea of trying to convince all the Kremzeeks to gather in one location. And then they make for the nearest power station. 
Now, Andy, you were talking about kind of holding on to Prime like a roller coaster. The way Prime just transforms and starts driving away, everyone's got to quickly leap onto him to grab hold, including the Doctor. Can't even get inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm again. This feels like another like Prime is is really just fed up of this at this point. <laughs> He's just like no time for any of this. Like, can we just get this fixed? I just want to go home. Meanwhile, we see Megatron and Starscream testing out the energy magnet, and it does exactly what you think it would based on the name. It effectively draws energy from nearby machines. In this case, on the test, military ships, literally. Stealing the power and, according to Megatron, storing it in undersea batteries. And in turn, this just makes the ships just stop. Just not moving at all, just going wherever the waves take them. Megatron then saying, quote-unquote, We will drain this planet dry. Back in Tokyo, we see a giant metallic structure effectively being supercharged, drawing Kremzeek to that location. Which does work, but then they all combine into one, and they keep growing. Because they're getting fed more power. And they just keep growing until the, the structure is broken. And it's also worth noting, as well at this point, that while this giant Kremzy keeps growing, there's one that isn't with the pack, and it jumps into Blaster. Keep that in mind, everyone. Because if you it's almost a blink-and-you-miss-it thing, but it does happen. The creature is now rampaging like a kaiju through Tokyo, leading to Inferno to try and douse it with foam, only for Kremzy to catch... The, the load of foam, if you will, and throw it back at all of them on the ground, leading to Blaster to have the great line of, well, that worked like a charm. <laughs> back with the Decepticons. Megatron wants to do a long-range test, but Starscream is impatient and just activates the device proper, draining all the power from the surrounding buildings and the machines, including the Autobots, Andy, who are 200 miles away. <laughs> It is a powerful magnet indeed. This is when Prime realises that Megatron must be linked to this. And perhaps he created the creature to keep them busy. Blaster then gets the idea of just sapping him... What's the way to phrase this? He gets the idea of effectively drawing Kremzeek into an antenna to then just fire him in the direction of the magnet. Which I think the tower in question, Andy, was Tokyo Tower. I don't know if it's ever explicitly mentioned or referenced, but it feel, felt like it was. Yeah, I, I would assume. I mean, this this episode is enjoying all of the Tokyo landmarks it can cram in, so I'd be very surprised if that wasn't supposed to be Tokyo Tower. But now, Andy, at this point, Optimus Prime has a line of dialogue which I genuinely can't tell if he is being the biggest troll in the world or if he's being genuinely sincere. Because Blaster is explaining this plan. He says what they can do. And then Prime says, quote-unquote, Blaster, you finally came up with a plan. <laughs> I can't tell whether I should take that as a, he should take that as a compliment or just a, finally, you did something good. Yeah, I mean, again, this, this very much ties into the feeling that, that Optimus Prime is done with this whole adventure <laughs> and is just like, finally, somebody's actually figured out a solution so that I can just go home. We then see Kremzeek walking around feeling sleepy due to lack of power and is then kind of led by Bumblebee, if you will, towards the tower where it is turned on, Kremzeek is sapped into it, as it were, and then sent away in the direction of the energy magnet, which is still operational, hence why he was able to get fed to it so easily. 
Upon arrival, the magnet is destroyed in, the in, in an instance, and the Decepts, as Blaster calls them a few moments later, obviously do their obligatory retreat. We then see the Autobots and the Doctor use a boat to get towards the energy magnet, where Kremzik is effectively stranded in the middle of the ocean. Nothing else to, to drain energy from. The Doctor is able to, to determine that because Kremzik is just pure energy, the energy can be dispersed. Meaning, they can kill him! <laughs> Despite Bumblebee feeling sorry for the little Critter, the decision is made by Prime to disperse him because, quote-unquote Andy, he doesn't belong in this world. Yeah, I mean, this... This is not the first kind of bit of hypocrisy we've seen from Optimus Prime in this show, where he's like, you know, freedom is the right of all sentient beings, etc., etc. But not that guy. <laughs> that, that, that guy ruined my day. He can just die. It's like, oh, all right then, I guess... I guess we're doing that then. So yeah, like fair play to Bumblebee for being like, well, he's kind of cute, and also like he's alive. But Prime, like, no, just done with this. And to add insult to injury, Andy, when they're gonna activate the device, Bumblebee has to look away, and then Prime, <laughs> yeah. who is about to push the button and is looking through the viewfinder, sees little Kremzik's face kind of get up close and go, hey. And then Prime has to cover his eyes as he pushes the button. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, again, there's, uh, again, kudos for, for them like having a bit of fun with this. Um, and uh, yeah, like I, I do, I do appreciate that at least. But to poor, I, I legitimately felt quite sad for poor Bumblebee. Like I felt like he, he had like a, a pet incoming there. We could have had an entire spin-off of like Bumblebee and his Kremzik pet. But no, we were we were denied. We were denied. The adventures of Bumblebee and Kremzik. Yeah, it'd just be like the Scooby Doo and Scrappy Doo of, of their day. But. Oh wow, that's a, that's a comparison right there. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the beach, Doctor Yoshikawa says he will help to restore Omega Supreme. And remember that little extra Kremzik I talked about a few minutes ago, everybody that snuck into Blaster. This is when it makes its presence known, and the episode ends with the Autobots having to chase after it while it's making a new path of destruction. Kremzik got the last laugh. That's the end of the episode. I know I said at the beginning, Andy, that this episode felt like a bit of a slog for me to watch. It did at the time, but going over it again it is actually pretty good fun. It's got some proper fun moments, but like I said, just at the time of watching it, this just felt like a bit of a slog to me. I guess it's probably because I just wanted something... I wanted something more, I guess, than this. But hey ho. Yeah, th th this is very much a kind of like fast food episode, really, where it's just you know, you you're not you're not getting any surprises, you're not getting any kind of depth or real sustenance. It's just like hey, here's a fun, goofy romp. Oh look, here's Japan, um, and that's kind of it. Like I mean, overall, this is probably like the weakest episode of the season. It doesn't really feel like it belongs as a Transformers episode. But that said, I, I totally appreciate the people involved with creating this episode having a fun time with it. And like I said earlier, like that's that's the saving grace actually of, of all of these kind of particularly dumb and goofy episodes. You can kind of see everyone was just like bought into the idea of like, hey, yep, let's just 
be as dumb and as stupid and have as much fun with this one as possible. Let's not try and dress it up as being smarter than it is. We're just we're just going to go for it and we'll we'll put the stupidest lines in. We can have some really dumb crazy animation. It'll be fun and it kind of is off of the back of that. Like it's it, it it gets by on sort of enthusiasm alone. Mm. And as for like the whole Kremzik is killed thing, they literally shot what were they called the Morphobots was it? Literally shot them to another planet. Could they not have just contained Kremzik in one of those circuit boxes like Megatron had to put him onto a ship and shoot him somewhere else? Yeah, I mean, could could they not have sent sent him to the the ghost planet from the previous episode and just like you know dumped him there? So many options, but uh, but no. Apparently, uh, occasionally the Autobots quite happy to to murder a sentient being because it's convenient. So, a couple of trivia notes now as we go to the TF Wiki for this information. Andy, you may be happy to know, this would not be the end of Kremzik. He would return as an easter egg in the Dreamwave G1 comics continuity and the Kiss Players incarnation of Transformers. (laughs) Of course he was in Kiss Players, of course he was. (laughs) Not to mention having a small cameo in Transformers Animated. Sam Witwicky also even has a little Kremzik figure on his desk in the in the comic adaptation of Transformers the movie. Uh, he would also decorate the floor in of Megatron's palace and a soda can, as it's written here, of Starscream in the Reign of Starscream movie sequel comic series. Uh, Kremzik brand drinks are also a regular easter egg in the IDW comics continuity. And as the Transformers... <laughs> that's a Transformers. And as the TF Wiki puts it, the little bugger would make a full appearance in the Transformers v G.I. Joe series, reimagined as a demonic eater of souls who haunts the afterlife. I mean, that doesn't really sound a lot like Kremzik at all, to be, <laughs> to be honest. That sounds like a completely different character, but okay. I mean, I've got to say... Uh, of what was just mentioned there, I didn't realise there was, like, a, a movie sequel comic series called The Reign of Starscream. I didn't realise no. that was a thing. No, I'm I'm a little curious about that. I'm still trying to wash the idea that Kremzik was in the Kiss Players continuity out of my mind, though, to be fair. <laughs> so that's that, that that's going to haunt me for, for all my days. Maybe Prime was right. Maybe Prime was right to kill it. I don't know. I mean... Uh, just as a quick note, because I've quickly looked it up. Uh, the Reign of Starscream comic, uh, IDW Publishing's five-issue comic series, which is their official sequel to the... Oh, sorry, wait. Andy, this may change our opinion. The five-issue comic series, which is their official sequel to the 2007 Transformers live-action movie. Oh, okay. Well, that's... Yeah, that's not... That that that, that one doesn't count. That's yep. not a Transformers yep. movie. I, I'm just cl- cl- clicking out of that window right now. Right, Andy, I know you've been wondering. It's time for one of your favourite segments of the show. <laughs> Did David Wise recycle this? <laughs> <laughs> yes, please please, please tell me this was not originally a Transformers episode. That's all I need to hear. <laughs> David Wise recycled certain set pieces of this episode from He-Man and the Masters of the Universe episode, Day of the Machines. Including the creation of Kremzik, it was a little more involved in the Masters of the Universe episode. His transmission to the Autobots and the final scene of Kremzik messing up the Decepticons base. They add here, Wise is known for reusing his ideas and set pieces. And recycled the main plot points 
of this episode wholesale for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode, The Big Zip Attack. And then again for the Mighty Ducks episode, Zap Attack. Also, Wise's Defenders of the Earth episode, Audion Tweak recycled the idea of the hero's computer being afflicted by an outside force that makes it babble nonsensically. Man, I don't, I, I don't know why I, I'm suddenly feeling really nostalgic for Defenders of the Earth. I've not right? thought about that cartoon for a, a long, long time. And I'm, I'm now going to think about that and not Kiss Players because <laughs> I really don't want to. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you don't know what Kiss Players is, don't look it up. Just the the best way I will, I will I will forewarn you people, if you Google Kiss Players, you might need to delete it from your search history. I think yeah. that's the fair way to say it, right, Andy? At the very least, make sure safe search is turned on before you before you do any any investigation into this whatsoever. Yeah, but I mean, you would be best served just not. Yeah, actually, you know what? Uh, Chris McFeely on YouTube, I think, has done a basics of the Kiss Players episode. As it were, like a, a sort of a basics of Transformers and then a, one on the Kiss players. It might be worth you, at your own risk, checking that one out. He even puts a disclaimer at the front of the episode. Let's put it that way. That's kind of what this, we're talking about here. So if you want to search for that on YouTube, folks, at your own peril, be you do it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not... Don't sue us. That's all we're saying. <laughs> From there, everybody, I think it's time we move on to our next episode. It's time to talk about our final episode of this particular podcast, Season 2, Episode 46, Starscream's Brigade. We begin, Andy, in the year 1943, at, at Guadalcanal, I think it's pronounced, seemingly during World War II. We see a number of vehicles battling, guns being fired, planes being downed, you named it, it's a war zone. The battle saw many vehicles being left there, and then we fast forward to 1985, and you can still see little remnants of the vehicles there. Obviously now just in colour, rather than rather than black and white, which was a fun little touch. And also just having, like, you know, grass grown over and whatnot. We then cut to Decepticon HQ. And I'm going to say this now, people. I've written down a lot of dialogue here verbatim, because I think it will do far more justice than me trying to describe what is happening here. We hear Starscream saying, quote-unquote, Shockwave this, Shockwave that. All I ever hear about is how great Shockwave is. Megatron responds with, Shockwave is an ideal soldier. He's both humble and respectful. Starscream responds with, Shockwave has much to be humble about. Who can so much as respect a leader who cannot even defeat the Autobots? Megatron then says, as he's walking out, while there are other Decepticons gathering also, you'll never understand, Starscream. You lack the ability to see your own faults. Suddenly, Starscream then just blares out, Nobody turns his back on me! And then fires Megatron right in the back with his cannon. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I... I, I've been at great pains to try not to swear on this podcast, but the only note that I, I've made, so have your sensor button ready, was like, oh shit, Starscream. It's <laughs> <Right. laughs> just like, you know, we've had so so much of his like snark and his, his, you know, doing down Megatron, but we've not had him just outright blast him and just like, and it's not just like it bounces off him, he just like knocks him to the ground. It's like, oh, you're, you're in trouble now. Yeah, he knocks him down and seemingly dead as well 
and then sort of stands on top of him, proclaims himself the leader of the Decepticons. And then suddenly Megatron sort of reactivates, if you will, and then knocks Starscream down. And then also makes it clear to Starscream he cannot be terminated from a single blast from Starscream's puny weapon. It's like that. It's like that. That that, that didn't like knock me unconscious or anything. I was just I was just doing that for effect. It didn't have any effect. Like ow. <laughs> yeah, it's like he's trying to like hold his own, and he gets out the door, and eventually will just go. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's exactly that. Megatron then raises his arm cannon to Starscream's face and says. I am sick of your endless quest for power, especially at the cost of losing mine. Other Decepticons are watching on, fully intending to do nothing to help Starscream, who at this point is pleading with them to help their new leader, because, you know, he was leader for five seconds, everybody. (laughs) And then Starscream says, as he begins to run away from Megatron, just you wait, Megatron, one of these days I'll have my revenge. And then Megatron responds with, you and what army? As he says that, firing Starscream in the back, and then says, and then basically follows up with, get him out of my sight. Starscream has officially been exiled from the Decepticons. And we then see Laserbeak get brought into action, and literally having to carry Starscream while flying by his foot, and just dumps him on a nearby island, which we come to find out is Guado Canal. I think we need to pause there for a second, Andy. Because this entire opening few minutes of this episode, holy crap, this was great. Yeah, this this is this is really good. And I mean it's so good at sort of like playing with your expectations because, you know, we we see Starscream being snarky every week. Well, yeah, it's like every day in the syndication of this show, you know, we see him constantly at it, we constantly see the sniping. You know, Megatron will slap him around a bit every now and again. But this is just this, like, massive escalation <laughs> out of nowhere of just, like, no, I'm I'm done with this. And then Megatron being like, no, I'm done with this. You're exiled. Um, and, you know, it's ve- very clear kind of setting up where things are going with the whole you and whose army thing, having seen these military vehicles. Like, you can join the dots straight away, like, I think even if you didn't know what was coming. Um, but it's a really... It's really good and effective, and it's just a really good moment of just like, oh my god, this this escalated quickly. Yeah, I'm honestly sure I've never seen this episode. So when this was happening, I had no recollection of this at all, if I ever have seen it. I didn't know where this was going, but I was just almost like, it's finally happening, Andy. It's built to this. We've waited for so long, and we get to see it. Yeah, for sure. It's really weird, because... I feel like I remember the closing scene of this episode and nothing else. So I'm not <laughs> sure whether, like, I'm not sure whether I've, like, seen that gets recapped at the start of the next episode and I've watched that one or whether I have seen this episode and I've just somehow forgotten all this stuff that happens. So, yeah, it, but I, I, I didn't remember. I was not expecting this, which is, is why I had to write swear words about it when it happened. <laughs> Upon Starscream's arrival, he's walking around this deserted island and stumbles on a wing from a downed plane, then uncovers a tank underneath the sand. Then the tank reminds him of Blitzwing, and he says, if Megatron can have a Blitzwing, so can I. 
We then see Starscream heading to a space bridge, which is being guarded by Skywarp and Thundercracker. They make it clear they're under strict instructions to not let anyone use this without proper authorization. Starscream basically says, here's my authorization, and holds up an arm cannon to one of the, the, the Seeker Jet's faces, and they let him go through. Yeah, I mean, I feel like some weak defense there. It's like, they're two versus one. I'm pretty sure they could have taken Starscream, but, like, yeah, they, they're just like, oh, go on then. Whatever. Skywarp can teleport, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, also that. <laughs> like, they, they could have they, they could have tried a little harder here, but, but you know, fair dues. I mean, I guess there's... You know, he was he was he was kind of their commander, so I suppose they've like felt like, well, we don't really want to fight you, so fine, go on then. Mm. So, Starscream's used the space bridge, and we next see him sort of running down a hallway with numbered doors on it. He goes into a room marked as two one seven, and goes into a particular drawer. It's kind of like he. It's like a safe deposit box. If you see, like, in a James Bond film when someone's looking for that one particular drawer in a bank vault to steal, like, a jewel, it's like that, effectively. He st he basically steals an Energon cube, by the look of it, and then Andy, at that point, also just destroys the entire place. It's like, alright, bit excessive, but sure. Back on Guado Canal, we see that Starscream has uncovered more vehicles. Uh, there are two Jeeps, there's a fighter jet, a bomber jet, and a tank, as mentioned earlier. He places an Energon cube into each of them, and it turns out, Andy, they were a bit more than just Energon cubes, because then Starscream utters the words, Combaticons transform. And we see each vehicle starting to morph a little bit, and then ultimately transforming from their what is now their vehicle mode into their root mode. We are introduced to Brawl, which is a green tank, Swindle, which is a yellow jeep, Blastoff, which is a bomber, Vortex, which is the fighter, which was a fighter jet that I mentioned, is now a chopper, and then we have Onslaught, which, if I remember Andy, because I think my notes have gone a bit AWOL, is the other jeep I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah, I seem to recall like Onslaught's kind of like a, uh, he's almost like a, a missile carrier kind of thing, I yeah. think, officially. Kind of like um, an anti-air jeep. Sort of thing. Yeah, ba yeah, basically. Thank you. The Combaticons begin to talk, not sounding overly keen on their current forms, is kind of the way they're describing it. When Starscream introduces himself and says that he has freed them from the Decepticon detention center on Cybertron. And he wants them to help him overthrow Megatron, also making it clear that none of them are equipped with energy absorbers, so they can't recharge. And with that in mind, they say they will obey him for now. I didn't know this was a thing at all, Andy. And so this entire sequence has baffled me in a really kind of fun, positive way. Because I didn't know that, like, effectively Transformers could be separated from their bodies like this. This is an entirely new concept. And the idea of it just suddenly made me go, oh man, the possibilities now. What the heck? Yeah, I mean, this is probably one of those kind of, like, dashed off for convenience things here, but it works really well. And, like, the, the context that, you know, it, 
what you come to learn is, is kind of like the origin of the Combaticons kind of just like adds to that as just like, oh, this is a really interesting kind of like plot device. And it, again, you know, I have questions about why they're able to like adapt from these like World War II forms into like modern vehicles. But hey, I owned all the Combaticons and they were cool. So I'm glad that they did. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a really, it's a really nice way of, of kind of, making this work and i imagine there was probably some head scratching like having done the stunticons and the aerial bots where there was a very there was a very deliberate and obvious method to kind of like create some new transformers and you suspect that they had a like oh god like how do we do this with another group and we're trying to do it with starscream who like doesn't have any official access to anything because he's been exiled like have we written ourselves into a corner here and i really like the solution that they come back with because it's like super elegant and interesting we now cut to a, a a town of some kind it's never explicitly mentioned where it is where a reporter by the name of marty minkler is interviewing Cha Jazz and Cliff Jump, and then is corrected to say Cliff Jumper. So we, all, in a way, got our Cliff Jump moment there, where they are unveiling a statue of Optimus Prime. Which I've got to say, Andy, when they reveal it, I just thought, is that actually Optimus Prime? Because it doesn't actually look like a statue. It looks like it's actually him. Yeah, it would it would have been even better if he just like took the helmet off and it was Starscream underneath. It's <laughs> just like re remember remember this my greatest hit. <laughs> Speaking of Starscream, suddenly he and the Combaticons attack, and we get to see the Combaticons demonstrate a number of their respective abilities, from being able to project sound waves of their own, just straight up laser shots, even Vortex. I think it was basically creating gusts of wind or like a almost like a, a tornado turbine type maneuver from the fact he turns into a chopper. The two Autobots are quickly outnumbered and are actually captured by Vortex as mentioned, and then they fly away as Starscream is saying, Megatron is next. Flipping that candy. Like, this episode just keeps escalating. I'm loving it so much at yeah. this point. Back on Guadalcanal, the Combaticons each feel that they've done a better job than the other, and they basically start begin fighting with each other. And Starscream's just kind of musing to himself and then realises they're fighting and just basically goes, STOP IT! And fires a giant laser in their path. Invoking his authority. Proving he can be a leader, Andy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Starscream was right all along. Question mark. An interesting note here. We know that Starscream said that they didn't have energy absorbers. But seemingly between that scene and where we are now in the episode... There's clearly been an added plot device well, added here. Because the reason that they captured the two Autobots was to strip them of their energy absorbers. Starscream says he can't play favourites in terms of who gets these two right now. So they need to capture three more Transformers. We then cut back to Cybertron where Shockwave informs Megatron that personalities of the renegade Decepticons have been taken. Megatron is incensed by this and immediately suspects the Autobots. At Autobot HQ, Teletran has detected new reports of unidentified Decepticons led by Starscream, attacking the, the Optimus Prime Memorial, as it's phrased, and that two Autobots were captured. Prime finds this strange, and he rightly points out that most of the Decepticons' attack are related to their incessant need for Energon. What are they doing? Which, I like that as a callback, Andy. It's like, 
All they want is Energon. What's going on? <laughs> Just a fun little line. When at that moment, their HQ begins to shake a bit. And outside, we see that Megatron and like a horde of Decepticons have arrived, ready to attack the Autobots, with Megatron basically going, you need to return what you stole from me, the renegade Decepticon personalities. Obviously, Optimus Prime has got no idea what the heck he's talking about, and a firefighting that has already begun just continues, with Prime saying that he has got a demand of his own, release Jazz and Cliffjumper. Now, obviously, at this point, Megatron's confused now, because he doesn't know what the heck he means by that statement. That's when he realises, maybe Prime isn't the cause of this. At which point, he's shot right in the chest. Just point blank, a great shot. He ends up retreating. Everyone, to say the least, is confused by the situation. Back inside, Prime wants to know more about the mention of renegade Decepticons. So they go to Teletran, which produces the following information. Renegade Decepticons are political prisoners detained on Cybertron. Under direct orders from Megatron, Shockwave had their personality components removed from their structures i.e. their bodies. The structures were subsequently destroyed. Until yesterday, the personality components were stored in the Decepticon Detention Center. Powerglide surmises that Starscream must have stolen them to create his own army, and suddenly, all the pieces of the jigsaw are falling into place. It's a power struggle between Megatron and Starscream. Prime says, that's none of their concern, but rescuing their comrades is, and they roll out. Quick note for an upcoming scene as well. Powerglide is then sort of tasked with patrolling the area for Starscream's crew. Just saying that now to get that out of the way. Andy, this whole idea of the renegade Decepticons and being political prisoners and stuff. I love this so much. I want to know more. Yeah, yeah, this 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 is a really good plot point that it, it brings forwards and yeah, you kind of end up with the Combaticons almost as this weird kind of like suicide squad basically of trans of Decepticons. Um but yeah, it's it's a super cool premise. It really fits the idea of the Combaticons as, you know, just being kind of pretty bloodthirsty. And as I've kind of regaled people with like on previous episodes of this podcast i always love it when a third party gets involved in the usual autobot versus decepticons things like whether it's the insecticons whether it's starscream doing his own thing like it always makes things infinitely more interesting when it's not just the obvious like ah well this thing's happened we know who did it um and this actually i appreciate this is why it's kind of nice that this sort of turns into a bit of a stealth two-parter because it has a bit of time it doesn't need a lot of time but it has a bit of time to go through the obvious motions of like well you know some, somebody's done done us a bad it must be the autobots and then it's like oh wait no and then likewise for the autobots it's like well you've kidnapped two of my guys it's like no and then they both like look <laughs> look off to the side like oh oh okay um, and so I, I, I'm a real sucker for that. I, I really like it whenever this show does that. And this is a, a particularly good example of that. I do need to ask one question, though, based on what Teletran has said. If the renegade Decepticon personalities are being kept in the detention center, which is where Starscream stole these specific personality cubes from, 
Does that mean he's just murdered a heck of a lot of Decepticons? You would assume. I mean, certainly you would. You would ex- imagine that the Decepticons probably are, are pretty, pretty rough at handing out their punishments. So I don't suppose the Combaticons would have been the only ones there. So, uh, so yeah, that that seems like a very fair assumption to make. Don't mess with Starscream. Basically, <laughs> that's the rule. We then cut to a train station, which it's not clarified until later, Andy, why the hell we're at a train station, but it's because Megatron's crew need a recharge, it turns out. But that's not actually elaborated until, like, the last line of this of the scene. Megatron and co. are looking for Starscream. Starscream is also there and reveals himself and shows off his army, the Combaticons, saying he intends to take the place of the Decepticon leader right now. Suddenly, a firefight breaks out, causing a power outage in the train station, meaning this firefight is now happening in darkness. The Combaticons, though, have Megatron's crew's number, quite frankly. And even though they haven't fully recharged, Megatron's party is forced to retreat. If on your newly established Decepticon bingo card, you want Does Megatron Retreat, you can now tick that twice in this episode, so far. (laughs) Starscream is super annoyed that Megatron got away and actually starts blaming the Combaticons for this, which they then call him an idiot in retort because they said, you were about to be offed by Soundwave if we hadn't stepped in. And we're at the point where the Combaticons are about to turn on Starscream because he's promised them energy absorbers and he ain't delivering. And Starscream is able to talk them around because he sees that two of the Cone Seeker jets are still knocked out on the ground. And effectively goes, hey, look, there's two more Transformers. We've now got four. We just need one more to get all of your energy absorbers. They agree to this. And also mainly because Andy Starscream also elaborates. Also, I'm the only one who knows how to install them. Which, kind of an important point when you're a scientist and you're the guy holding people's lives in your hands. Yeah, very true. Although I also suspect that was probably not actually true and that there were plenty (laughs) of other Transformers that could have fitted them as well, but, you know. Back at Decepticon Underwater HQ, we see Megatron having seemingly assembled nearly everyone in his ranks, saying there is no way Starscream can beat them. Well, I say nearly everyone because the Stunticons aren't there, and Megatron tries to summon them, but Motormaster... I wrote this down verbatim, Andy, but I'm not going to say... I was going to say he politely tells Megatron. He doesn't. He just says, tell Megatron to blow it out of his exhaust. Yeah, I mean, that—that that is that is now taking the place of, like, my new favourite kind of, like innuendo slash swearing that isn't in this show <laughs> because you you know exactly what they're trying to say there but it's a kids cartoon so we're, we're not gonna say that um, and I, I really love that line yeah I, I also wrote it down I wrote it down that down that it was drag strip that said it but not later master it, it may have been way. drag strip actually I may have written that down wrong oh yeah it was it was the yellow one wasn't it so yeah it was drag strip there you go yeah but sure. but but either way that that is a quality line well delivered And the reason that they don't want anything to do with what Megatron wants is because they're literally having their own demolition derby in a nearby town that they've just created in the middle of a street. Yeah, and I, and, and I again, this is a thing that I really love about this episode because you get kind of a viewpoint of just how dysfunctional the Decepticons are and that the, the show does it quite well a few times, but this I feel like is the most kind of pronounced of just like these guys are barely holding it together. Like, it's probably, like, Megatron is just about, like, holding all of these kind of jerks together in one sort of 
messy army and all it takes is a little bit of kind of descent in the ranks and it all just falls apart everyone just starts doing their own thing and it just gets super dysfunctional and I kind of like that this episode really leans into that of just like nah everyone's just kind of everyone's out at the races at this point practically we then cut to quote unquote the amalgamated water and power station sure whatever where we find Starscream and four of the Combaticons recharging Andy. I guess we're to assume at this point that four of the five Combaticons have been given, or rather, have now got energy absorbers, having been stripped out from their prisoners. Yep, seems that way. Admittedly, hindsight being twenty twenty, I didn't note down exactly which ones had received them, as many because I'm not actually familiar with them yet, so I couldn't actually figure out which one was which. Now, at this point, Megatron's party arrive and begin attacking. We are literally watching a Decepticon civil war being underway, and it's freaking great. Power Glide is also nearby and relays to Prime what is going on, which they use the opportunity to then roll out so they can rescue their comrades. The Constructicons are there, they merge into Devastator, but Starscream has his own card up his sleeve, like another kind of Joker card, if you will. Because he shouts, Combaticons, merge into Bruticus. And I'm going to be honest, Andy, I am not familiar with Bruticus at all. I'm aware of the name. For some reason, I've just never looked up to see what that actually means. And this Bruticus looks so damn cool. Yeah, yeah, again, this uh, I, I, I had all of the, the Combaticons, I had the toy, and like Bruticus is, is really, really cool. Etu, et Bruticus. <laughs> We, set, we now see the two combiners fighting, with Bruticus just utterly handing it, quite frankly, to, to, to Devastator. Devastator is mauled. That's the way I'll phrase this. The Autobots arrive, quietly rescue their comrades and seemingly Scarper. And for the third time in this episode, we see Megatron having to retreat. But Starscream ain't gonna let him get away with that. And at this point, Starscream is like sitting on Bruticus's shoulder, almost like he's a parrot, except he's not. And Bruticus just grabs Megatron in one of his hands. And Starscream basically makes Megatron admit defeat and to hand over the leadership, which Megatron does. And just as that's happening, the Stunticons arrive. And it's got to be said, a lot of the Stunticons couldn't care less what was going on right now. But the argument of... You guys realise this is Starscream, right? And he ain't gonna stop. To which they went, fair point. Turn into Menasaur, and then basically just throw an almighty punch at Bruticus. At which point, we don't see Bruticus again. So I guess they're just left in the crater that Menasaur created. <laughs> at this point, Starscream is able to sort of come to. He's like just at the ridge of the crater. And he kind of looks down in and goes... Bruticus? And then you just see a hand appear and grab Starscream's throat like it's freaking Darth Vader or something. And it's Megatron very angry with Starscream. Just literally grabbing him by the throat and rather than just offing him there and then, which you can tell based on the way things are working out, he was all but ready to do. He instead summons Astro Train and off screen we're effectively told take them off planet. And when I say off-planet, I mean Astro Train literally just leaves them on a rock, drifting through space, banished from Earth forever, 
we hear in the dialogue. And the episode concludes with Starscream looking out into the void of space with his Combaticons just lying there, just utterly decimated on this rock with him. With Starscream uttering the line, You'll regret that you did not destroy me, Megatron. I shall have my revenge. Holy crap, Andy, what an episode. This was great. Yeah, right, right the way through to that surprise cliffhanger of just like, oh, oh, okay, we're we're gonna we're gonna return to this in, in, over the next few episodes. I, I hope <laughs> it would really suck <laughs> if we didn't, and Starscream just suddenly reappears. Like, I, I I hope we're getting the resolution to this story. Um, and yeah, like it's it's really really strong, like from beginning to end, and uh, yeah, it, it just. It pulls together so many good things, like, you know, the new characters are cool, they're used in a really good way, like, Starscream's kind of attitude and his behaviour is used, like, perfectly as a, as a, like, foil for all of that. The Autobots kind of don't really matter in this episode, to be honest. Yeah. They could have, they could have just taken the taken the day off, um, but you know they they add a little bit to it just in, in terms of you know having three factions involved, um, and then yeah, like it's even though you could argue it's a slightly kind of rushed ending, it just it fits it fits so nicely and everything kind of circles back around together in a really pleasing way, and uh, yeah, like I'm I'm kind of the, the way we've we've watched these episodes has sort of worked out really well in terms of this actually being a cliffhanger for us as well of like oh okay what well, now what <laughs> i'm gonna see what happens next <laughs> so we now move on to tf wiki trivia notes and andy the, there's actually a fair amount on this one i'm gonna forewarn you in a good way because this may actually add even more to this episode so Notes from the original script of this episode, courtesy of the TF Wiki. According to the cover, the episode was titled, quote-unquote, 30 Seconds Over Megatron. This was before it was broadcast, and that is actually a reference to the 1944 war movie, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. Yeah, I, I, that, that's a weirdly sort of obscure reference for like a kid's cartoon episode. I can see why somebody decided to change that. <laughs> The script dictates specific, historically accurate World War II vehicles for each one, uh, and for each of the ones that appear, rather, and then it describes them as their modern toy-based forms, but no explanation is given for the transition. The World War II element of the Combaticons' origin is a strange choice, since none of their toys are actually World War II-era vehicles. However, they can be shown going through a reconfiguration upon taking their new bodies, causing the vehicles to upgrade, quote-unquote, into more advanced ones. That said, Andy, you mentioned this, exactly how the Combaticons update their vehicular forms is not explained. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 is, it is a weird thing, because it would have been quite easy... I don't know, maybe it would have been felt to be, like, a little dodgy or insensitive to, like, have it off the back of a modern war. Like, it would maybe have been a bit weird to be like, oh, Vietnam, and then be like, oh, here's where the, the Combaticons came from. So I guess they went with the safe option of World War Two. But, yeah, it, logistically, it kind of makes no sense for those characters. The original script also calls for them to still be rusty and battered upon activation, hence the displeasure of their new bodies. Some off-screen repairs then get them into fighting shape. 
Megatron's fusion cannon troubles are expanded upon in the original script. Now, we didn't actually mention this specifically, Andy, but when Megatron and co. go to the Autobot HQ and we get that initial firefight, there is a notable moment where Megatron's arm cannon just fails, and that's what prompts him after he's been shot in the chest to just retreat that time. So Megatron's fusion cannon troubles are expanded upon in the original script. The reason for its original malfunction during the attack on the Autobot headquarters is not made clear, uh, though the blast from Optimus Prime that hits him may be a reasonable guess. Later, he is shown repairing it while the Decepticons re-energize in the train station, but it continues to give him trouble, giving him another reason to withdraw. Megatron says, this is a new note, sorry. Megatron says, where is that fool Starscream? As if to imply they came to the train station to look for him. A cut script line from Soundwave makes it clear that Megatron has totally forgotten that he ousted his lieutenant and is just idly wondering where he is. <laughs> the aerial bots were slated to go scouting alongside Power Glide originally. Obviously did not in the end. A brief flashback narrated by Megatron was supposed to show the imprisoned Combaticons having their personality components removed back on Cybertron. Prime waits for a more opportune moment before sending his troops in to rescue the prisoners. The script accounts for the energy absorber discrepancy. In the original version, only four of the Combaticons recharge, with Brawl as the odd man out. As a result, Bruticus runs out of power at the end of the battle. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that adds up. The Stunticons are notably absent from the original script. It seems likely they were shoehorned in at the last minute by some sort of corporate command that later brought us the protect bots. Uh, thus accounting for the episode's most egregious plot error. Starscream blows up the Decepticon Detention Center after raiding it. They also note here, as I did, Andy, did they just kill a bajillion disembodied Decepticons? <laughs> uh, number of times that somebody says Jazz and Cliffjumper? Seven. <laughs> uh, in a record for the series, Megatron calls a retreat three times, all within eight minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he really, he really gets, he really packs them in this episode. And uh, as the as the TF Wiki puts it here, Devastator got his tail kicked. Can you tell he's no longer a new toy, folks? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. You think back to how Devastator was just like completely unstoppable, and now it's just like now he's just kind of you know Omega Supreme is better than him. All the the new special teams are better than him. It's like the poor poor Devastator. So hearkening back to something that you mentioned in a previous podcast, Andy. The plot of this episode is reused in a simplified form in the UK audiobook, The Special Teams. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I, I resurfaced that, uh, that, that audio cassette and I, I, I do need to listen to it properly because A, it's pretty cool. But yeah, because that, that tape, I recall, it actually ties into, like, I, I think... Starscream has like an Energon supply that he'd squirreled away during the whole like um, Burmese ruby mine episode in season one. Like it oh, has what? so really... like so like way back in more than meets the eye then. Yeah, so it has some really weird like you know season one tie-in stuff of, of just that's just like oh that's a really deep cut to have in this kind of audio book that you could get with your robot points. But I'm I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> 
And that concludes that episode, everyone. Uh, Andy, before we start to close out the show, any additional notes on this particular episode? No, it's just uh, like definitely a, a hard favourite of mine. Like overall, I think not even just the season two episode. This is this is a real banger, um, and it's just I, I need to know what happens next. As mentioned, well, it's funny you mentioned that, Andy, because on our next podcast, everybody, we will be talking about season two episodes forty-seven to forty-nine. But Andy, I think we need to elaborate on this a bit more appropriately because. It's the season two finale. We are going to be at the end of season two next time. And the episodes in question, for those wondering, are as follows. The Revenge of Bruticus. Hence why we've said... Yeah, spoilers, spoilers. (laughs) We also have the episode Aerial Assault. And the final episode, per the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, is the episode B.O.T., bot as i will just call it for short i guess obviously i've got an idea what the revenge of bruticus might be about unless we're about to have the world's biggest red herring cliffhanger ever but otherwise aerial assault one would assume that aerial bots might be involved in that in some way bot i've got no freaking idea yeah, i mean I, I i guess I, I guess i think that's where the autobots make a rap album with dr dre <laughs> Um, that's that's my call. It may also be like where they debut the protector bots, but I, I'm going to go with my ah. first option. Oh, well, there we go. So, uh, yeah, everybody, th- th- that concludes this edition of the podcast. As we mentioned before, if you want to let us know what you think of the episodes in question, or have got any thoughts you want to share, you can do so via Twitter and Instagram. We are at Starscreams Pod. You can drop us an email at starscreamsghostpod at gmail.com. And of course, as we've mentioned at the top of the show, whether you've been listening to this in audio form via the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, etc., or if you've been watching the video version on YouTube, make sure you tell a friend about the podcast. And if you feel so inclined, do leave us a little rating on your platform of choice as well. We would really appreciate it. And if you'd like to, if you'd like to check out something different from what we've been doing, if you haven't already, you can watch our recent bonus episode where we actually checked out the season two part one uk dvd extras that had a quiz some unedited mistake reels there was a character profiles in there as well if memory serves andy it was a fun time yeah 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 some good stuff in there and so with that being said everyone you have been listening to this edition of star screams ghost a transformers podcast from myself jeremy graves from him mr andy hanley We'll be back again very soon with our next podcast wrapping up season two of The Transformers. It kind of feels really weird to say that, but in a weird way, it's also incredibly exciting. Thank you very much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Take care. Bye, everyone.